Welcome to the Razan Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 66. I'm Joel Payne. I'm Sam Hargreaves. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In this episode, we'll be dissecting the classic song Kumbaya with a guest expert, reviewing May's Communion Songs Challenge with Keiko, setting you a new challenge for June, and generally inspiring you with our wit, wisdom, and wide smiles. (laughs) Do you like my new intro? How did that be getting? I was starting to get a bit tired of the list. I thought I needed to put some kind of alliteration at the end. (laughs) <laughs> what do you think? I could try a different alliteration every week, every time. Yeah. That yes, was W. Please. What should we do next time? Um, X. No, not like the words. Uh, X. Yeah. I don't know any words beginning with X. Xenophobia. Okay, that's great. <laughs> and generally inspiring you with our xenophobia. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get, how are you doing, Sam? We only uh, met a couple of weeks ago in our virtual... Um, scenario but how the last couple of weeks been for you dude ah not bad yeah went for a run today with my mate which is the first time because you can do you know socially distant runs now yeah and uh i am absolutely shattered Mm. because i have been going running but the thing is when i go on my own i basically just after a while like turn around and go back home because i've got no (laughs) self-motivation people's like come on let's do this whole whole loop big loop around the forest i was like okay that is Um, so you absolutely shattered now you're you just have zero competitive instinct even with yourself like i'm challenging myself to defeat myself Uh, when i run i want to win against my you know against my aching limbs or whatever it might be it's what we talked about last day external and you know internal you know locus of yeah what's it you know mine's entirely external if it's me i'm like i don't care yeah Mm. but um yeah that's me uh how about you what's uh what's been good um it's been much the same, to be honest, I think. Are you surviving lockdown? I'm, I'm tired, if I'm honest. What? Fit, fitting everything in is starting to feel a bit exhausting. I mean, there's still a bunch of stuff about it. It's still sort of emotionally quite pleasant <laughs> in that the, the simplicity, there's a certain simplicity of life, but I'm sort of doing early starts and late nights and things to try and fit everything in. And Yeah, two weeks ago you said the early starts were the best thing. Yeah, they, well, they are still. Really now you're like saying them. it's the worst thing. Well, if I could do those and then sleep all day. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think. I'm what, just what are you really to... missing? Are you are you missing sport? Uh, I am missing sport. Yeah, especially sport on the radio. Actually, um, you know, right now we should be listening to Test cricket and that um, that sort of thing. I think that that thing about external stimuli, my yeah. um, that that's a thing for me. Sport is just like a way of. Something else happening that is that is yeah. just there stimulating, bubbling, bubbling away. I'm missing, like I don't really miss people very much, <laughs> but I just sort of miss, like you know one thing I quite I quite like one of my <laughs> it's so sad one of my favourite uh. things to do it is about half eight at night go oh if we run out of this oh, I'll pop to the supermarket and then pop to the supermarket and then just stroll around the you know plastic goods aisle or something just browsing the supermarket it's, i quite like it and it's just not quite you can't really do that it's not quite the same no no that's, isn't that sad that's what i miss oh goodness i think well, there's getting more going on in my life takes all sorts yeah but you know i've got my family here i can run which is my other main thing and yeah um, i can make music and that's you know it's pretty good i'm missing news that's not about 
the coronavirus. Oh, as well. it's boring, isn't it's it? Like there, so there boring. literally is nothing else happening in the world, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Should we carry on? Like um, you had to, I've, I've seen here, you got some feedback on your How Would Jesus, is that what HWJ stands for? How Would Jesus? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. How would Jesus leave worship? Um, yeah, we um, Ellen Oliver uh, mm. of this parish and off of uh, New Scottish hymns and all that. Uh, she sent me an email saying that she was doing her with her worship team our How Would Jesus Leave Worship course over Zoom, uh, watching the videos. And she said it's been a brilliant time for us to bond as a team to get to know each other, learn how each other ticks, take time to hear from each other on ideas of how we can shape our worship, especially once we head back to normal services so uh that was encouraging super super encouraging yeah so um if you haven't looked at it yet I encourage you to go and have a look on the engage worship site slash uh, video course and all the videos are there and there's a zoom guide and you can get the pdfs of the book and all that or even real physical books um and the other thing is we just continuing with our crowdfunding in fact when this comes out i think there'll only be a few days left it finishes on the 5th of uh june oh wow and we're um, raising money for uh, a couple of new resources we're, we're putting together. One is going to be an Advent um, church pack and then also something for families on emotions, Jesus and emotions. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if people are interested in supporting those, you can go over to our website. Brilliant. Brilliant. How about, how about Resound? What's going Resound. on with Resound? Um, I mean, you know, ticking along, uh, still just sort of acknowledging this thing that online church is probably going to be a pretty major reality for yeah the rest of the year at least um i, I think especially i don't know it's a different scene in different countries isn't there in terms of what people want to do it feels like in the uk there's no yeah. rush back to gathering and right. i think i think one way or another so actually you know we exist online as an organization we're providing resources so i think i've been doing quite a lot of trying to think that through and keep on developing our portfolio of stuff so that we're actually helping online churches. So we put out the mm. the video of your um, God Our Father, Let Your Kingdom yeah. Come song, which is really nice yeah. to see, wasn't it? Having had a, a big gap between the videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They started like, to get a little bit boring by the end because you've sort of seen the same thing again and again. <laughs> um, but great to – yeah, it's really nice to see. Um, I've been talking to our friends at United Adoration about trying to set something up that we can get some sort of online songwriting – things happening with um, some zoom stuff connected with the 12 song challenge so that's really cool because they those guys know what they're doing and and they're offering to join in with us a bit i'm quite excited about that um had a really cool guest lecture at nexus um with adam perez you know adam if you come across him he's a um yeah he's an academic in states works with lester ruth at duke yeah and um he's his kind of major area of research is contemporary worship and, and the kind of the roots of it and so on. And he did this lecture, which was to do with the sort of the, the influence and impact of the, the UK scene on the American scene. It's a brilliant article by Monique Ingalls, actually, if you haven't read it, which is worth finding. Um, mm. And But what was quite interesting before it, he thought, well, he, he went on Facebook, we're friends on Facebook, and he thought, I'll just ask, so Americans, what, who do you think has made, who do you think from the UK has made the greatest contribution to contemporary worship? contemporary worship music it was a fascinating did you see it this <laughs> i did this, yeah this poll it was fascinating because obviously top of the list by some way was with the gettys keith yeah. and Kristen, which is fascinating in itself without going on a huge diversion because they're big 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 news in america yeah but they're not really big news in the uk in the same way mm, you know most of the yeah. stuff that you know we tend to think of Stuart townend songs the americans think of yeah. getty songs and it's, yeah. so it's quite interesting that actually 
but but they have a they have a big impact there. Matt Redman was pretty high up the list, delirious and so on. And somewhere quite a long way down was the right answer, which is Graham Kendrick. Kendrick. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really fascinating. And then afterwards. Um, which which Adam gets afterwards. He said so. He said he had this. He did this poll. And he got all these answers, and he just thought, "Come on, this is this is terrible." You don't. Know. So he said, "New poll. Who is the UK's greatest contribution to contemporary worship, and why is it Graham Kendrick?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was. I thought that was really nice. So we give Graham a lot of love on this show, um, and I, I thought we should try and flip it another time. We should try and work out who we think the US's biggest, con- you know, most significant. Yeah, um, greatest impact, whatever is, um, yeah. And then the other thing we're doing is is we went crazy and sent out loads of our doxicology songs to our twelve song challenge team, which is like a hundred and ninety people or something, and <laughs> said, "Will you sing on our album?" So um, if you're listening, actually, if you're listening, which has probably been released, and you probably should have sent them back by now, but if you haven't, you can send them soon. Um, <laughs> hopefully, we will have loads of voices from our own kind of quarantine choir and um being part of the album so that's kind of fun that's great yeah we had a really warm response to our mid-month special sam where we talked about we called it um digital discouragement but i think actually in various ways we kind of covered ground around kind of pride and ambition and and self-worth and Mm. other stuff didn't we yeah I was, I was struck. I'll tell you why. Mm. <laughs> I was because <laughs> you must have been brilliant because I thought I was rubbish. <laughs> you were, and you then were we got these people saying, "Oh wow, it's so honest," and I just thought, "Oh, I'm saying it must have been you." But I'm so glad to be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, but it struck a chord, didn't it? So thanks, folks, for um, for feeding back. We really appreciate that. Yeah, and I mean, it was you know about. Forty percent of it was us reading people's emails and Facebook oh yeah, messages, so oh yeah, I had actually forgotten the... that. <laughs> yeah, that's why it was so good. Well done, the general public. You are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's dissect a classic. Dissect a classic. This episode, we are going to dissect the classic song "Kumbaya." There you go. I've said Kumbaya, it. Lord. Yeah. Can I tell you? Uh, one thing about it, Kumbaya, yes. before we carry on. Because I, I grew up in Great Yarmouth, so yeah. we used to sing, Come by Yarmouth, Lord, come by Yarmouth. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yarmouth is a place yeah. in the UK. Uh, yes, yeah, it is. Um, now, it an absolute bona fide classic song. Um, I started digging into it a bit and I quickly realised that um, there was a lot to this song and I didn't really know what I was talking about. So I thought rather than you and I, Sam, try and make it up, why don't we go out and try and find an expert? And that's what I did. Well, welcome, Stephen Stacks. Thanks so much for joining us on Dissector Classic. Glad to be here. Just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. We're obviously in the UK, but you're elsewhere in the world, just you know where you are and, and what you get up to there. I am, yeah. I live in uh, North Carolina, in Apex, North Carolina. Um, I just finished a PhD um, in musicology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Um, my my research uh, for that, for my dissertation, was on um, civil rights freedom songs um, in the period since 1968, so since 
the date that most people term as the end of the civil rights movement, what has this music um, meant and where is it sung and how is it sung and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I'm also an um, associate pastor at a, uh, a Baptist church in Cary, North Carolina, um, where I lead singing and um, play the music uh, and also am in charge of the adult discipleship activities. Great. So we're going to talk about the classic song, um, Kumbaya. Would you say Kumbaya, Kumbaya? How would you pronounce it? Uh, well, we shouldn't get into that. We'll get into that in a minute, shall we, when we talk about it. It's a it's a classic song. It's um, an enduring song. And um, as part of our podcast this month, we're thinking about kind of simple, singable songs. And it's hard to think of a more classic, more well-known, simple, singable song that has travelled the world than this one. Um, and so normally we weigh in and we start picking it apart. And, you know, I thought, I just don't know really very much about this. So I need somebody who does know a bit more. So you very kindly come on to talk to us um, about it. Um, I, I'm interested because I know you, you your research obviously included this song but you were looking at things more broadly into in musicology can you just tell us a little bit more about that research and kind of what led you to it so the the research is on you know what has has really been kind of a um a repertoire called freedom songs that are you know were songs that uh came primarily from the black church uh in the united states um and were kind of entered um the uh, the use of the civil rights movement protesters in the 50s and 60s. Um, and so there kind of became a codified repertoire of those songs in that period where, um, you know, most people know We Shall Overcome. Um, Kumbaya was one of them as well. Many people know um, uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing or Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around or This Little Light of Mine. All of those songs were... Um, were used in the civil rights movement in America um, and adapted for protests and meetings and whatnot. Um, And so my research really focuses on, a lot of people have written about the period of the movement itself from about 1954 to 1968. Um, But what I was interested in was, um, obviously we continue to have civil rights movements or movements that have um, taken the civil rights movement as their departure point in this country. Um, and the music is still around um, in lots of different contexts. And so I wanted to know how that music was still informing people's politics, people's religion, how um, those the meanings of those songs have changed in new contexts in the last 50 years. So I talked about um, protests. I talked about documentary, film, and sound recording. I talked about uh, performance Um, And Kumbaya comes up in the chapter on protest because the movement that I was focusing on uh, was an environmental justice movement here in North Carolina in um, 1979 to 1982. And one of the songs that they sang in that movement was an adaptation of Kumbaya. um, That the verses were about their um, struggle, uh, but the chorus was the chorus of Kumbaya. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a song you can adapt isn't it i mean mean, it has been adapted hasn't it over the years of course yeah yeah and and interestingly some of the earliest versions are uh are unfamiliar because they use um some kind of stock verses that were circulating among lots of different spirituals uh at the time so 
Um, it's, it's, you know, we know kind of four or five verses now that, that go with, uh, the, the refrain, but, um, you know, there, there've been lots of different words over the years, including, um, new, new words written, written to the tune. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's try and go back um, as far as we can anyway, to the beginning of the story. Cause I know it's a little bit murky as the, the further you go back to try and figure out the origins and there are different ideas. So um, maybe, um, tell us a little bit about the possibilities and, and tell us where you'd put your money as well. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So there's kind of three origin stories, um, about about the song um two of which i think we can safely say are not uh okay Uh, but but the truth is still a little bit complicated so um those two that i think are probably not true uh the first one is there was a man named martin uh fry or Frey, um who actually is still credited in a lot of hymnals as the composer of Mm -hmm. of the of the song um and in other uh, places because he uh claimed to have written the song in 1936 based on a prayer he heard. Um, and he, uh, submitted the copyright for it, uh, and, and published it. Uh, and then his explanation for how it, and he published it as come by here, my Lord. And his explanation for how it became Kumbaya was that he taught it to some missionaries who took it to Africa. When the song came back from Africa, it had transformed into Kumbaya. Um, Now, the, pr- the problem with that story is that uh, the place he said the song went to, um, Kumbaya, means nothing in their language. Um, and <laughs> we are pretty positive that it, that it uh, well, we know that Ya means here in the Gullah dialect. Uh, and so it's, it's not a likely story. And we also have recordings of the song from before he claims to have composed it. So, but he was a reverend, wasn't he? Isn't that right? <laughs> You, you'd hope he might be a little bit more forthcoming. You'd think, you'd think. Uh, it's actually, a, uh, unfortunately, a common um, story about uh, appropriation of black music in, in this country at the time. Yeah. Was he a white, a, a white man then? Exactly, yeah. where, you know, white folk song collectors or um, uh, people who worked for uh, publishers would go and listen to music, record it, come back and get the copyright for it. Um, wow. Yeah, so that's that's one story, and it's even on on the plaque at his grave, um, and so we pretty much know that one's not true, um, unfortunately. The, the second story uh, is that it was an African folk song that came to America um, from Africa and then made its way into the folk music and camp song repertoire uh, as an African song. And actually, the first folk group who recorded Kumbaya... Um, they thought that that was the story of the song. So that's what was in their liner notes, um, is that it was an African folk song. Um, now, we pretty much know that's not true as well because of what I mentioned earlier, which is that um, we have early recordings of the song um, from the American South, and we know that Kumbaya was, uh, or Kumbaya is a, a pronunciation of the words come by here, um, in the Gullah Geechee dialect uh, or language from, and those people uh, lived uh, and were from the Georgia and South Carolina Sea Islands. Um, so as best we can tell, now this is where it gets kind of murky. Um, we do know that it was, it either originated there with the Gullah speaking people of the Georgia or South Carolina Sea Islands, 
or it was an African-American spiritual from elsewhere in the, in the American South and the Gullah people learned it and, and it was sung in their dialect. We're not sure which came first, but we know for a fact that it was an African-American um, song. We just don't know where in the South it first um, was sung. Uh, but yeah. we do, the earliest recording um, is of a black Georgian man named Henry Wiley. Um, it's a wax cylinder recording. Uh, super interesting to listen to, to compare to um, the version of the song that most of us kind of have in our ear. Um, and there's also a, a handwritten manuscript from a, a, a folk song collector in North Carolina, also from 1926, that has yeah. similar words to it. So that's kind of when it emerges um, and but it emerges both in North Carolina and in Georgia, so it's kind of hard to tell um, where it first, you know, was sung. Yeah, I've heard. I think I heard that original, that earliest recording. I think it's on the it's on the Wikipedia page, obviously where I get most of my information. And you can actually hear that, you know, the scratchy and and also, but it has this kind of um, come. By, oh, I can't come by him it's got a quite a different rhythm to the most popular versions that are around um yeah it's 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 much more syncopated the rhythms aren't straight um the vocal tone is very different from say a pete seeger uh singing it uh much more plaintive mm. in tone than uh than kind of the calm placid uh kind of tone that you typically hear um, when singing this song, uh, it's 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 different, but very recognizable as the song. Yeah. Do you know when it then became popular in the public consciousness as a song? Yeah. Song? So, so around um, in the fifties, uh, this um, it's kind of there's two things that happen really close together. The first is is the folk um, revival artists begin recording the song, um, and where they learned it is. Uh, kind of you know it depends on the group that recorded it but um the folksmiths and pete seeger and joan baez and peter paul and mary all those people record the song um in the span of a couple years uh 56 to 58 or something like that at the same time um a music publisher added the song to a, a collection of camp songs that then was printed and distributed throughout um, the America, uh, throughout the country, really, uh, to you know, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, groups like that. So it becomes, and then the folk groups perform for those campers, and it it just kind of spins out from there. So um, in that 1950s, 1960s period, it becomes an iconic camp song mm. and also an important song in the folk music repertoire in America. Mm. Um, so that's when it becomes popular. And also when it starts to get the connotations that we uh, have now um, with it, which are another interesting wrinkle of the story, um, the kind of sarcastic reference to a kumbaya moment as a kind of naive or surface level um, coming together, but, you know, ignoring differences and kind of, you know, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya as a kind of, uh, uh, you know, a sarcastic reference that... It's hard to tell where that, that exactly what attitudes lead led to that as entering our common parlance, but um, it could be people who you know had certain feelings about the politics of the folk revival, or people who just associate it with the simplicity of a camp song and kind of a childish 
naivete. Um, so uh, that's unfortunate um, because it it does have such a um, a rich history and comes out of uh, you know this tradition of um, oppressed African American people singing about God's presence being with them um, in times of strife. So it you know that association with it is is not really in keeping with um, the song's kind of true meaning or or meaning for the people who originally sang it yeah so it's it's very well known in the uk um i would think an awful lot of people who couldn't tell you much about church could hum along to it you know along with amazing grace and maybe one or two other tunes like that it's sort of it's become a a folk tune that's owned by the by the public mind in a sense um and in the uk it certainly has those similar connotations of it's seen as very sort of pathetic christian a bit but i think also it's possibly just old enough now to have, have moved on past it so it was kind of you were wearing a stripy jumper with a rainbow guitar strap strap playing a tambourine you've got a beard well we've both got beards but it's back in the day before before this hipster era when um people had beards and so on. so it's associated with certain things and part of that is because of its ubiquity it was sung everywhere but interestingly i suppose you know i sang it when i was a child i didn't have the faintest idea what i was singing right and yet it's so in- incredibly popular. Do you have any sense of of how something which uh, you know half the people singing it don't even know what they don't even know what kumbaya means, and yet and yet love it, and it's in hymn books and song books and churches and so on. Absolutely, I think yeah, I think um, similar to a lot of the freedom songs, uh, their um, singability in groups, um, uh, the kind of uh, the way that song leaders were able to um, get uh, a large group of people kind of participating, um, you know, call and response, but also just like melodies that were um, easy to sing, uh, to, to, to sing along with is part of it. Um, it's, a, it's a catchy tune, obviously, in, in, um, in that sense as well. Uh, but I think it's also easy to play. It's got three chords in it. Um, yeah. So, so for a camp song, um, it works. Yeah. If, if you only know three chords, you can you can do Kumbaya. Um, and six notes. I just checked before we spoke. I don't. Do you know the? Um, uh, do you know the song by Tim Hughes? Here I am to worship. Are you familiar with that? Yes. That's. Um, and that we we sort of think a little bit of that as the sort of holy grail of of short vocal range popular worship songs because there's not much else but it does six notes and Kumbaya is exactly the same six notes mm-hmm. there's got to be mm-hmm. something about the sellability that that makes sense yeah easy to sing uh within people's range um and in the version that uh that most sing now rhythmically simple now yeah. as you yeah. mentioned from the early recordings not so much uh but um in the in the way it's printed in hymnals and sung most of the time um definitely uh it's 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 an easier tune to to sing along with. I you know other than that, I think um, you know it's hard to explain why some tunes just have uh, you know that uh, mysterious or un kind of quantifiable yeah. uh, power. Um, if we knew, we'd all be rich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just one of the it's one of those tunes that and weirdly enough. I only fa- I I did a little searching around because I was interested before we talked, and I've only found one instance of different words 
to the tune of Kumbaya in, in a hymnal. Um, there are, it is in a bunch of hymnals, um, and as come by here and as Kumbaya. Yeah. Um, but, but there is only one other hymn that called praise the Lord, our God, that is different words to that tune. Um, so the, it's kind of, uh, it's not like other hymn tunes in that regard where you have a hymn tune that people know really well and a bunch of different words to that tune. It's stuck with the words, uh, Kumbaya or come by here pretty closely. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, I, we can't go on all night and, um, um, but I'm enjoying talking about it. I just love to hear a little bit more about the, the, the version you talked about with the environmental justice group and, and how they, how they wrapped the words around it. Sure. So, um, one of the, um, one of the key leaders of that movement, um, was a woman named Deborah Ferruccio and she and her husband, um, had moved recently to Warren County, North Carolina, which is out um, in the country uh, about an hour from Durham, North Carolina, uh, in between North Carolina and Virginia, basically. Um, but it was uh, it's a place that historically has a um, has been one of the poorest places in that well since um, uh, post uh, slavery economy has been one of the poorest places in um, North Carolina and also uh, kind of one of the more diverse places as far as uh, percentage of African-Americans and Native Americans and, and white uh, Americans living um, in, in the county. Uh, and um, an incident happened in 1979 or 78 where uh, a transformer company in Raleigh um, dumped a bunch of... Uh, toxic waste basically along a bunch of highways um, around the state uh, I guess because they didn't want to pay to properly dispose of it and um, the governor at the time decided to cite the landfill to dispose of that waste in Warren County the poorest and the blackest county in the state Um, so the citizens of the county organized to try and um, stop the landfill, not just because they thought it was discriminatory, but also because they didn't think it was going to work. They didn't, the science was disputable about whether it was going to hold these chemicals. Um, and in the end it did start leaking, uh, after the fact, but, um, part of their strategy was to kind of assume some of the tactics of the civil rights movement. Um, so they had mass meetings, they called in people from the civil rights organizations that were still around. Um, they sang songs, uh, including a bunch of freedom songs. And the version of Kumbaya that they did was written by, uh, the, the new words were written by Deborah Ferruccio. Um, and she's, she's not a super religious person, but she knew the song from Pete Seeger and others. Mm. And the, the folk music was her, her thing. Um, but she did recognize the importance of the spirituality of many of the people who she was organizing with. Um, and so uh, that's kind of how the song um, came into uh, that movement from her love of folk music and of that song and her recognition of the importance of the spirituality of the people she was working with. Um, so pretty interesting. Uh, and they sang, you know, they sang other 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 stuff um, like We Shall Not Be Moved, uh, songs like that. Um, but fascinating. It actually became the beginning of what we now call the environmental justice movement, which is an international 
movement. Um, If you watch documentaries on the environmental justice movement, they will point to Warren County, North Carolina, as one of the first times that um, kind of uh, systemic racism and discrimination was tied with uh, um, environmentalism. Uh, And a big um, study came out of the Warren County movement called Toxic Wastes and Race that was done by the UCC church, actually, um, that looked at where all the landfills were put in the United States and found that most of them ended up in poor and minority communities. Um, so it started a huge kind of uh, international movement. Um, but, you know, uh, kind of farmers and people in North Carolina um, trying to keep their community safe was how, how it began. And Kumbaya was part of it. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> Stephen, thank you so much for giving a bit of time and sharing some of um, your knowledge. It's been fascinating uh, and inspiring as well. Thanks so much. All right. Appreciate it, Joel. Have a good day. Dissect a classic. That was great. Yes. That was like worship nerd gold, I would say. <laughs> it pretty much had everything that my worship nerd heart wanted. It had like his whole kind of like sleuthing around who actually wrote it and how yeah. it changed it had you know civil rights it had pete seeger it had you know environmental justice i, know. I mean what more could you ask for i don't know if you could i thought Stephen was brilliant in fact i'm starting to think maybe we should get Stephen on every week and just ask him about something <laughs> he's good he's good. he seems like someone who might know yeah yeah <laughs> maybe we should try him again desperately needed stuff. on this podcast <laughs> Yeah, no, that is brilliant. And it totally opens up. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a song like Kumbaya, I think the basic problem is overexposure. Yeah. So in a similar way to people really disliking, you know, Shine Jesus Shine or Mm. My Jesus, My Saviour or whatever. Mm. It was just the absolute ubiquity of that. And, And probably, I mean, I know you said a lot of people would know it, but I suspect there's probably a generation below us that don't even know what we're yeah, talking about maybe, maybe you're right but yeah. for our generation it was it was ubiquitous and it it came to have and there was a sort of backlash of oh you think this is cool or you think this is you know right on to be using another language or whatever and but i i, I thought that was brilliant great stuff well, we've had another month of the 12 Song Challenge and we've got the lovely Keiko Ying here who is our forum champion, I'm going to say today because she doesn't like our other term for what she does. <laughs> uh, how's it going, Keiko? It's good. It's good. It's a beautiful day. Spring finally came to Rochester. Right. So, so, yeah. Nice. And you're surviving lockdown? Yeah. I mean, I... I, I can't complain. I mean, I can complain, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you want, no, one, no one's listening. Go on. Just have a little... Have a little round. I don't know. It's it's weird, isn't it? There's there's this weird tension of really wanting the... Kind of the isolation and the waiting limbo yeah. period to end, but then at the same time sort of feeling anxious about, you know, what really is safe. We don't have a way yeah. of gauging, you know, risk very well, so... It's it's strange, but I think we're all experiencing it. Oh, bless you. And uh, what have you been spying on the forum this month? Um, it's It's been a fun month. It's it's sort of bittersweet. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot 
um, just because this is a, one of my favorite moments in the service. And mm. I feel like I'm always picking the same songs for <laughs> that slot. Yeah. Um, but it's bittersweet because, um, you know, we're all writing for this moment that we can't experience right now. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but it seemed like there were a lot of people that um, enjoyed writing it and were very creative and taking angles I never would have thought of. So that was fun to see. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So have you got some that you want to pick out and uh, have us play? Um, sure. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed Andrew Finden's song. He's He's been around for a while. I always enjoy his songs. I think even from last year, he, he's been writing ever since I joined last year. Mm. So yeah. Um, yeah, I always look forward to his songs. They always um, have a great contemporary feel and are really singable. So mm. um, yeah. He's got a I real knack, his. I think, for just crafting a melody that works crafting a structure that works you know not everybody hits the mark every time in that way do they but mm. it's, some people just find their way there reasonably naturally and i feel like andrew's one of them yeah and i also enjoyed um caitlin Ferry's song mm. this month um it was very short and sweet but she managed to write a communion song that could actually be sung during this time of separation mm. because it's sort of more of a like, well, let's see, she wrote, my song came out more as a question or a plea in the absence of the gathering, sharing, passing, and feasting we long for. Um, so I thought she did a beautiful job with that one. Mm. Great, should we have a listen? Yeah. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the Paschal bread. And as he broke the loaf apart, this is what he said. This is my body broken, given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. symbol of the new Jesus in our place. This is my blood now poured out, given for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. So we take this bread and we take this wine. Proclaim his death until the end of time. So we take this bread and we take this wine. We proclaim his death until the end of time. As the grain which once was scattered in the fields. Been gathered and prepared. Gather your people for the feast. As this cup was filled with fruit pressed. 
along the vine is passed among us and consumed. Fill your people with your love. Fill your people with your Good songs. Yeah, I really like、um, in Andrew's song how、um, the verses have this kind of wistful quality, and it's all looking back to this to this memory.、Um, and then the chorus, when the bass starts to rise and、um, the melody goes up just a little bit, but it has、mm. this kind of hopeful, lifted feeling when、mm. Jesus actually starts to speak. So,、um, yeah, I thought that was really beautifully done. Yeah. There's a sort of descending motif in the chorus, isn't there? That kind of,、uh, with a little suspension, then descends, and a little suspension, then descends several times. I wondered whether he could maybe flip one of those to to add a little bit of variety, a little bit of interest somewhere in the chorus. But、mm. really, it's got a kind of it's got a Getty-esque kind of quality of、mm. of melody writing,、yeah. hasn't it? Which is you hear it once and you can sing it. It's great. Yeah. 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 I really like Caitlin's as well. I mean, what what was it you picked out about that? Um, just just that um. Somehow it captures the feel of the moment of communion in the grain、um, and the gathering of people, and then the cup filled with the fruit pressed from the vine.、Um, and yet somehow it's this kind of this plea, this request of prayer to God to bring us back together so we can experience it again. So it's something、mm. that could actually be put、um, in our remote services.、Mm. Yeah, it was full of、yeah. yearning, wasn't it? I mean, she sang it in、mm. incredibly tender ways. You listen, but there's、mm. something. There's something about not overwriting it. I think that was、mm-hmm. a lovely thing about it. It was just that, that's a lesson. I mean, you you know, you look through our, our forum, and I think there've been some great songs this month. I think communion, a bit like Christmas, brings out poetry in people, in、mm. the way they describe stuff. But every now and again, you get a song which just doesn't really try too hard to say very much. Just presents stuff, and that's、mm. what it is, and and can let it be, and which seems、yeah. really appropriate to that. Notice she used、yeah. that line about as the grain once scattered on the fields is now united on the table in bread and wine. It's, it's actually from the Didache in the second century,、um, which is a very early, you know, Christian、um, record of. It's amazing that we can take words from you know eighteen hundred years ago and、mm. use them in a song today, and they mean something in lockdown. Yeah,、so. mm. that is amazing, isn't it? Cool. So, what did you write, Kiko? Yeah,、um, I wrote a. Song titled "Communion Song." <laughs>、um, you must have waited for ages to get that that title. <laughs> I feel like half the people、uh, named their song "Communion Song." Yeah. Song. But anyway,、um, yeah, I don't.、Um, I wanted to keep it simple. We sing it during communion, so I didn't want to have too many heavy thoughts、um, happening, kind of as we're experiencing the, you know, taking of the cup and、um, just kind of. Being together,、um, so I tried to keep it really simple and try to evoke the feeling of sitting around a table with with Jesus.
I I have to say I really like that. I think that's great. You you said you tried to come up with something simple. You've captured a real simplicity there. I love that the melody is. For all I know, you've stolen it from a, a folk song from you know the nineteen sixties or something because it's got that kind of that, that feel of it just kind of feels intuitive and folky um, and simple in that respect. And then I love the way you use some repetition in those verses as well. Um, you know, humbly we come, humbly we sit. Here we remember, here we remember, and so on. I thought that's that's great. Thank you. Yeah, terrific. I, I love it. It feels very fresh to me. It, it's a lot of communion songs. Obviously, we've seen a lot of communion songs this this month, but it feels very. I, it's something about the the thing about come to your table, sit by your side, it just feels very immediate. Mm. You know that. I, I, I guess uh, for me, communion often becomes a you know about the ritual or about the sort of formality of it, whereas this feels like you know you're inviting us to come and sit around a table with Jesus. It feels much more earthy like that. That's brilliant. That's great. I can't. I'm struggling to think of another song with, that uses that same image. Except it's so obvious, isn't it? So. Why not? I think we we think so much in terms of our experience of just consuming bread and wine rather than putting ourselves back in the upper room mm. um, where they were meeting. My one little thing I want to push you on, Keiko, mm. is that is, is that second line of the chorus where because you have Lord, you were broken for us. So that sort of soars and lifts on being broken for us. But then when it soars and lifts on the word accepted, it just feels a little bit disappointing. Accepted. You're accepted. <laughs> it's like that. And I just wonder if there's another if there's another word somewhere which is which, which really deserves to be highlighted. Um, no, I see what you mean. Yep, uh, might be really mm. good. Yeah, Sam, have you mm. written something? Are you going to share something? I have. Yeah, yes, I did, a little, I did a co-write with my friend Andy Flanagan. Smart move. Uh, yes. Get the professionals uh, in. Exactly. Totally. Although, to be fair, it's, it was kind of my my driving and then him improving it, basically. Oh, no. so. say, to be fair, he was rubbish. Totally <laughs> <laughs> rewritten it. I disregard him most. No, that's not true. No, it, it, it's been good to work on it. Um, so, basically, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a... Um, sideways look at communion in some ways because it, I've, I've been struck by the fact that Luke uses the phrase uh, Jesus takes the bread he gives thanks he blesses it uh, sorry he breaks it and he gives it which um, and that gets used in the the loaves and fish story it gets used in the upper room and it gets used in Emmaus yeah and so I thought what if we brought those together uh, that's my that's my Brilliant. idea this goes we offer up the gifts in our hands We bring to you the best that we have We lift to you the little we hold The need is great, Lord make us bold Like the young boy did with his loaves and fish While our gifts seem small We are sure of this Jesus takes and blesses Breaks and gives So in him there'll be enough To reveal the Father's love Oh, hello. We go with Jesus out to the street To see his face and all those we meet 
is what a burning fire in our hearts to be made flesh through all we are like the souls he met on a mayor's road may we welcome those we do not yet know Jesus takes and blesses breaks and gives so in him will be The Father's love. We gather round this table of grace, where all our cherished all find their place. With the freedom we have received, Lord, may our lives set others free. Like the Savior did with his bread and wine and the Spirit's power, we hold out our lives. And then just the same. Yeah! Ta da! Yay, I like it. I like it too. I reckon I could tell one or two of the bits that you wrote, one or two of the bits that Andy wrote. <laughs> <laughs> but it's. Yeah, and that's great. That's really good. Um, I, I love the way you've taken that idea of these three different stories, these three different places, and um, linked them together. And it's got a nice lilt to it. It's got a nice resting melody. It's got interesting. I really, there was a bit that just really grabbed me. Oh, is it like the souls he met on Emmaus Road? Maybe welcome those we do not yet know. I found that I can't find, that grabbed me emotionally. But yes, that's oh, that's good. so strong. Thinking of those, particularly because someone. Um, said to me recently an interesting thing about communion is it's a very exclusive event of all the things you know mm. you, you know, invite people to church and so on and then you've got this bit of oh you can't join in this because this is for the and, and which you know is in a sense but is perfectly appropriate but isn't that I love that you've got this kind of thing of uh, we're, we're thinking outwards we're looking for those we want to draw in as part of that uh, singing that yeah I loved it too I um, I I love the story of the boy with his loaves and fish. Um, really identify with the feeling of not having enough, but um, being willing to offer what you have um, to him, and he makes it enough. And I, I just loved how you tied in being enough um, to reveal the Father's love through throughout all these three stories, which I never would have put together. <clears throat> it's that Henri Nuon thing. It's in his book, uh, The Life of the Beloved. He basically structures the whole thing around takes, blesses, breaks, gives. Mm. That was my that was my inspiration. I'm a little bit worried. Somebody said that I might have nicked a bit of the melody. It that bit. So in him there'll be enough to reveal the Father's love. Is that? Am I stealing that? There are probably like a hundred songs that end like yeah. that. I mean, which is going to be a lot of royalties you're going to have to pay out. For <laughs> Maybe I had got two suggestions for you, Sam. Just quick ones. Oh, please, yeah. I just I thought of of the opening um, few notes of your of your lines in your verse. 
the, your very first one, we are for up with a big emphasis on up, is sort of the weakest one. Whereas mm. we bring to you feels really natural yeah. to sing. I would maybe consider swapping those around so that you start on a, yeah. if you're going to have those that variation, start on one that's really strong. And the other thing was that your opening verse, there's a, it's a very drawn out syncopation, but do, 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 it works on that verse. But then on the subsequent verses, you start stretching the gaps between things like go with Jesus out. I think it would work just to, to run crotchets through. We or um, quarter notes for our American friend. <laughs> we offer up the gifts in our hands would work every oh, yeah. time. Yeah. And, and that might just solve that little thing. No, that's helpful. Um, Jolie Paul? Yeah, I've got one to share with you. Okay, let's try it. goes a thing like this. Oh, who are weary and heavy laden? Oh, who are thirsty? Come to the table where you'll find mercy. souls are breaking who seek a saviour come to the table and all his favour come lay your burden down eat this bread drink this cup and share his body and his blood Wow. You're so fast, Joel. Hey? Because that morning you said you hadn't written a single thing. I know. I thought I'd, I thought I'd better have a go. Before, <laughs> That's before so good. Oh, thank you. I wish I could write something like that in an afternoon. That is really good. I mean, I, what I really love is the, is the sentiment of if you're weary and hungry and heavy laden, come to the table. Because it's always yeah. come to the Lord, come to worship, come... But actually that sort of invitation, you know, in our weakness to come to the table, that to me, that feels really fresh. Hmm. Yeah, I really like the melody, too. It's it's so easy to catch on to the kind of um, for the verses, the falling the shape and then it gets higher and higher and, and, and then comes back down. But it's sort mm. of the same shape. And then mm. and then how you reverse it um, in the chorus in the invitation mm. can we can we just breath. say for those listening who couldn't see that when i was singing it i couldn't quite remember the melody and keiko was conducting me over skype and pointing <laughs> the direction of it so that i got it right you only listen to it once <laughs> so thank you very much for that that's well that's nice if you if it's good. simple enough for you to grasp it and then be able to teach it to me i think <laughs> i think i'm onto a winner Oh, it's memorable. It's good. I wonder whether you need to go up on line three of the of the verse. All who are weary and heavy laden, mm. all who are thirsty, come. To, you know, and then go up on line four. Mm. But whether whether the one and three ought to be a repeat. I wasn't sure. Than... I felt like line four was maybe a bit too much. Like I quite liked the making the minor seven. 
but then I felt but uh, maybe go maybe four consecutive lines is too much. Yeah, I hear, yeah. I hear. And it sort of it comes a little bit affected, doesn't it, by that point? Okay, thank you so much. Yes. Oh, sure. We are indebted to you for all your uh, pastoral and musical graces, uh, and we look forward to next time when we have you. Can we can we use this moment to publicly announce that Keiko has a song on the new Doxicology album that we are producing woo, woo. right now? Aww. I don't think we've said that before, have we? And that by, by no special sort of privileges or inside channels, Keiko submitted a song along with everyone else. We went through all, however, well, it was 150 of them, whittled them down, and lo and behold, it was our very own forum champion um, who'd written one of them. So that's really a, a beautiful, beautiful song of lament and, um, yeah, and, and confession and sort of a cry for restoration. And, and I think... Um, Really, I'm really forward to sharing it. I'm also really looking forward to Keiko hearing what we've done with it. We've, oh, I can't we've wait to hear. it. Uh, <laughs> this is a little off topic, but I just wanted to say also thank you guys for your last little mini podcast. Oh. That was so good. It oh, was cool. so good. You guys did such a great job of articulating what I think everybody feels. You know, what kind of comes out, the anxiety that comes out in when you interact on social media. Um, so I just thought that was so helpful. So oh. thanks for doing that. Thank you. It's time to set the June challenge. And your challenge for this month is... Living room songs. Living room. That was the voted, the, the best Eurovision song, my wife tells me. Oh, yeah, I thought I got it. I got the reference just from that little bit. And I was going to try and join in straight afterwards. And then I couldn't think of anything, any words to fit. Something to do with winning the war. And I just couldn't. Satan defeated, you won the war. Living room songs. So here's the point of this. These are songs you can sing in your living room. That sounds obvious, doesn't it? Let's just flesh it out a little bit more. Um, and we've thought of perhaps three particular ways you might approach this. But the thing that has inspired it, I think, is that for an awful lot of us right now, we are singing worship songs in our living rooms. And often yep. on Sunday mornings, we've got, whether it's live or pre-recorded, we're watching something on our telly or our computer. And then someone starts doing a song and three or four of us stand or sit or hide in a living room and try and sing along. And actually, it makes demands of the songs in a way that yeah, gathering in a big group does. together doesn't. So it's kind of saying, well, look, this is a reality. This is a real circumstance, um, a real dynamic. What actually serves that dynamic well? What are songs you can still sing well in your living room? So one option could be that you write something really thinking about this current online church dynamic mm. that would be really easy to sing along to, um, etc. We'll talk more about the kind of what the parameters might be. Um, another option is to consider that there is a reasonable chance that when we're all allowed to go back to church, the only place we'll really be able to sing is in small groups somewhere mm. because we won't be in big groups. So whether you're in a tiny group rattling around in a big sanctuary or um, you're in someone's home, there's also that possibility. But even if not that, most of us are used to some kind of small group in terms of um, church. And actually singing together in a small group it took me years to feel really comfortable with and i sort of finally mm. cracked it at some point with a with a particular group and then then it became a really a really wonderful thing so that's another option something that's more for kind of small group singing and then a, another one which um 
which you described to me, Sam, and I've written down as songs for your domestic liturgy. Do you want to just explain that? <laughs> so we, me and little, when Ella was little, we wrote a little good night song. So we'd have a little prayer time and then we'd sing this song every night. Um, and it was about help us sleep and give us no bad dreams. And, and we wrote it together and we sing it. We still sing it every night, even though she's 13 Aww. years old. And, and then because in lockdown, we've, we've started doing a morning prayer thing straight after breakfast as well. So we kind of choose some sort of prayer or Bible activity straight after breakfast. And we've, we kind of wanted something to end that as well. So we've basically taken our evening song and just changed the words to Father, come and wake us up, which Aww. doesn't really make sense. But we just do it because it's become part of our sort of and it's a song that needs no um, instruments. It, it, it it's, it's, you know, it's simple. It says what we want it to say in that moment. And I was just thinking for some people, they may be in a similar situation mm. where actually if you're in a family group or whoever you're living with, you might say, well, let's have a morning song that we sing together. Or it could be a, a grace. You know, lots of people sing mm. grace. You could say, actually, when we when we gather around the table, we're going to, you know, write a little song that we can use um, or it could be a nighttime song or, or, or some other point in your day or in your family's kind of or your whoever you're living with when you sing together. And so that could be an option for this challenge. Yeah. Way back in like podcast number four or five or something like that, we interviewed yeah. Ruth King Goddard in um, yeah. Seattle, who's a music yeah. development specialist. And um, she was currently, I think, researching for a PhD. And she she was really helpful. She talked to us about this idea of the personal participatory singing voice, mm. which is the voice that people sing with as they wander around the house, if you like. Mm. And that was the best way to describe it. And she said that most people, even if when they're in their performance voice, head off to a totally different voice and range and so on, in mm. their walking around the house voice, most people sit pretty happily between a C and a B flat, whether mm. that's um, you know an octave different for, for men and women. Um, and we actually set a challenge. We set a seven-note challenge, didn't we, um, mm. for that particular one, which was really interesting because it, it was a challenge. Um, but that may well be something to, to bear in mind. We're not going to impose that limit, but this idea that actually the voice you use in your home yeah. might be quite different to the voice you use with a microphone or in a yeah. big congregation or, or and so on. Like literally, physically, you you sound it differently, and therefore yeah. you have access to different notes. So I thought I thought that was really good, and it wasn't it interesting that um, Kumbaya has a six-note range. Yeah, like Light of the World, which we've talked about yeah. before, is having this six-note range. I mean, you don't listen yeah. to Light of the World and think, "Oh, it doesn't really go anywhere," do you? No, and Great Big God as well. It's incredibly tight range, Does especially it? the Our God is a Great Big God. Three notes yeah. basically, all through the chorus. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's, there's something about that that I, I've noticed definitely watching online services and often we're trying to sing along and the person's pitching it at the same pitch they would in church yeah. but actually we're sitting on our sofa and we're not warmed up yeah. and you know i can go fairly high but i you know i'm really struggling and i'm straining mm. um and so you know they need to kind of pitch things down but actually to you know not just pitch things down because often then things slip off the bottom but yep. actually to limit the range for a living room yeah it's a great challenge isn't it I was thinking as well about this uh, in terms of chord progressions. Um, there's a there's a definite trend. I know we've talked about this before towards kind of one chord progression that repeats. Yeah. And you were saying about um, well, Kumbaya has a, has a limited amount of chords, but it, the chords do kind of 
progress don't they as it goes through the song it's not just the same loop of one four one five it's it's kind of it, it goes somewhere um harmonically uh, but there's a lot of songs nowadays that if you listen to uh, on YouTube or whatever, modern songs, they'll take one progression and they'll just go round and round and round and round. So an example that we've been using in a, a group, um, I talked on the podcast before about being involved in Azalea in Luton, working with women who are sexually exploited. And we um, have permission for, from the police to be continuing to work with the women during lockdown. And so I've been leading worship and they, they love the song Waymaker. I don't know. If, do, you, you, do you know it very well, the song? No, I'm afraid I don't. Like a no. So the the, the, the chord... I will look at it. I'll learn it for next time. It's chord four. Yeah. A waymaker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. So what? Uh, four, one, uh, five, six. Yeah. And it's that all the way through, and that's whether it's the verse... <laughs> or the chorus, or the bridgey part. And after a while, I'm getting so bored of this, this really repetitive uh, chord progression. Now, of course, there's always this thing of, well, you're a musician and you care about that and other people don't. But I do think as well, like in a live situation, you know, if you watch the video of that, you know, they've got drums, they've got backing vocalists, they've got pads, they can dynamically bring it right up, and bring it right yeah. down. They can do all these different things Whereas if you're on a guitar that, you know, you should have changed the strings a few months ago, you've just got no dynamics. You've got nowhere to go. Yep. You don't have the layering of the different instruments, all of that stuff. And so actually, I wonder whether a living room song, yes, probably the chords need to be fairly simple mm. because, you you know, you don't want something that's so complex that it's difficult to kind of grasp hold of or difficult for people to play. But I think that just... A repeated chord progression maybe kind of gets old yeah. that's my that's my i think that's really good that. i i totally agree dynamics that's the thing you you have to be able to introduce dynamics by using melody and harmony because those are the really mm. the things that mm. are there so it could be in the rhythm of the of, of what you're singing that brings yeah. some variation or it could be that there's just a there's change journey progression whatever in the in the harmony it was in the chords yeah um, yeah. Uh, yeah, totally agree with that. Um, another interesting thing I think is consider is the acoustics. Um, living rooms don't have great acoustics. They're quite good for <laughs> recording because they're quite dead, yeah. but they're not a lot good for singing or for or for singing live, because you know when you're in a in a bigger space and and especially if you sing a longer note, mm. gradually your note starts bouncing back at you and other people's doing it. All just kind of gets enveloped and wrapped up. In that context, it's so exposed and holding a long note. It's it's quite a hard thing to do confidently, yeah. unless you're quite yeah. a you know a confident or um, competent singer. Should we think about the lyrics as well? Yeah. So, how are you going to write lyrics that are appropriate to the moment? I mean, quite a lot. Of, interestingly, quite a lot of worship songs I think start out in people's bedrooms. <laughs> find their way onto a stage although yeah. perhaps increasingly these days worship songs find their way start out in studios especially from the big yeah. big labels they meet in studios and right and they lay down some tracks and they get a vibe going and some of this other stuff that's happening that's quite different to uh, you know if you have some tracks laid down and a vibe and a beat and other stuff an atmosphere you'll write in a certain way but if you don't have those things then actually other words might be appropriate. So, for example, your 
you're often gathered quite closely together. You know, you you might all stand mm-hmm. up from your from your sofa or something. You 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 tend to be facing each other in a way that doesn't often happen in church. And so, just think about the dynamic of what do you do? Do you all sort of close your eyes and pretend you're having your own personal experience of God, or do you acknowledge that this is a very together experience? And that's yeah. the kind of it doesn't have to be that your song is about being together, but sing as if mm. you're together would seem to make some yeah. sense, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. And it may be that kind of songs of real kind of pouring out of heartfelt response, again, are, are less appropriate perhaps than songs that which are more formative, more yeah. truth-filled, more perhaps declaratory. What do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, that, that acknowledge, um, yeah, who God is and his faithfulness in the midst of, you know, the reality of everyday life, the reality of struggles, but probably less about, we feel you so close, you know, we're meeting with you here. I mean, you know, that I'm sure that does happen in living rooms, but it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, again, it's a sort of honesty moment. I feel like when we do Sunday morning, you know, we watch somebody's Facebook live service or we try and have a worship time as a family, it's not so much about that dramatic experience and more about, you know, we're doing this because God is faithful. Yeah. We want his word in our lives. Yeah. You know, we want that rhythm of coming to him on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And you may or may not have a dramatic experience mm. in that, you know, in that context. P- probably often not. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think that almost s- some worship songs just set you up for... Well, of course, you're having an amazing experience yeah. as you're singing yeah. this song, you know, and, and, and probably in these songs, we're not looking for that so much. Yeah, brilliant. Just, just maybe have another idea that actually one option we haven't considered, but you certainly could do is the slightly more responsive um, song, which is there to enable the very interactive possibilities of living room worship, which is yeah. where you write something which has space and then for, for praying out loud or something like that. Yeah. And then respond, yeah. like a kind of a response thing that could be fairly simple, like a, a succession of calls. You know, I did one a couple of months ago, which is essentially that yeah. it was just a little prayer response. Yeah. But actually I'd be really happy using that in a living room context yeah. because you play a bit, someone prays out loud, you all join in and then you go back. That, that could be super useful as well. Well, that's everything for this episode. Please do get in touch with us. You can email us, podcast at resoundworship.org. You can find us on Twitter at resoundworship or on facebook.com forward slash resoundworship.org. And all that remains for me now is to introduce the featured song, which is uh, a brand new song of joy. We thought it's about time to have a pretty joyful, perky song um, yeah. from Matt Weeks, which came out from the 12 Song Challenge. There is hope in the name of Jesus. Till next time. Bye bye. Bye. There is hope in the mighty name of Jesus. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope in the mighty name of Jesus.